Good morning. We are um, obviously going to be talking about the Word of God this, this morning. And so I want to ask you, if you have your Bible, get it out. If uh, you're going to use um, an app, go ahead and open that up. And if you're really lazy, we're just going to show you everything on the screen, okay? So um, about this message this morning, um, I've done a lot of thinking about this message. There's a lot of different angles that you, you can take when you talk about the Word of, of God. I think it's definitely um, the biggest um, bit of communication that we have as Christians. We've, we've built an entire movement around it, um, one that has lasted, obviously, for centuries of time. And there's a lot of controversy over the word. Um, there's a lot of uh, different ways uh, to interpret it. I had a professor one time tell me, hey, the, one of the best gifts that God ever gave us was the ability to interpret Scripture. And so out of that ability or freedom to interpret many, many denominations and movements that still fall under the umbrella of evangelicals um, have been birthed and have been successful and have grown very large in number. Unfortunately, what's happened to a lot of us as Christians, though, is we've used these differences to divide us. And so rather than just celebrating some diversity and some differences, um, we've decided to build walls and shoot across those walls at each, each other. And it was very crafty by the enemy to do so, uh, all in an attempt that we've done all throughout our humanity to prove ourselves as being right. And so what I really want to do this morning is just strip all that down and just get back to the bare basics of what we know, what we don't know, and uh, this may have a little bit of, of a lectureship feel or an academic feel to it, but we can build off of what I'm going to talk about this morning, and uh, we, we could build a, a, lot of, a lot of study and devotion around the things that I'm going to share with you. And I want to start by saying this, how do we at New Life Church teach Scripture? And I want to use just a, a story to tell you how that came to be on, in my personal opinion for me, myself, as, as, a, as a teacher. Uh, a long time ago, I would say 10 plus years ago, uh, David Craig and I had an opportunity to go to a conference. It was Craig Rochelle and Andy Stanley. And of course, if you follow them, you know, they're incredible pastors, incredible leaders, and so on. And, and during the lunch break, you had an opportunity to sit in a small ven venue and, and field questions. They, they weren't going to teach. They were just going to field questions. And one of the first couple of questions, a pastor stood up and he said, Guys, I just want to know something. Um, how, how do you teach Scripture? Like what, what angle and approach do you take to that for your church? And I thought it was a very bold uh, question, and because a lot of times in a room full of pastors, it kind of feels like a no-brainer to ask the question, how do you teach Scripture? Uh, but Craig Groeschel gave this statement. I thought it was so great, and I wrote it down, and I've been living from it ever since. But he said, I, I, I do three things. He said, the first thing is I want to give people chapter and verse. I want to tell them this is where you can find this. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, and so on. And he said, if I can't do that, if I can't give people chapter and verse, then I'm going to try to give them biblical principle. 
So I'm going to show them, you know, I, I can't really on this topic, Scripture may, may be unclear, but I'm going to show you, given circumstances and people's lives that are still in Scripture, principles that still apply to your circumstance. If I can't give you chapter and verse, and if I can't give you principle, then I'm going to give you my opinion, but I'm going to tell you before I do it. Okay, And that's exactly what I've been doing here. I try to give you chapter verse. If I can't do that, I teach principle. If I can't do that, I give you what I call Kevinology, but I always warn you first. Okay, And so that's how we kind of approach this on a weekend and anything that, that we do. Scripture as you know it, if you've been in church for a, a long uh, time, you know that there are, are some odd things in, in Scripture. And so uh, I'm going to give you just two examples, though. Solomon chapter 6, uh, the author is trying to flirt with a woman, and he says this. He says, your teeth are as white as sheep that have been freshly washed. Okay, now, guys, let me just throw this out here. That's a terrible, terrible way to start a conversation with a lady. Very, very odd. Your teeth are white as sheep, freshly washed. Psalm 137 says, happy is he that dashes his kids against the rocks. Uh, apparently a parent fell. This was a bad day. Um, not a good day to write things down, but apparently it was done. Um, thank God Facebook was not you know, invented at this time. There would have been a lot of comments after that. But what do we really know about the Bible? Okay, and in, in your notes, I'm going to give you several things uh, related to this this morning. The first thing I want to talk about is we know a lot of things are not really in there. There are a lot of things that as Christians we say are in the Bible, but they aren't. Okay, and we teach them as if they are, and we make these cliches as if they are, but that's all that, that they are, are cliches. It's not Scripture. I'm going to give you some examples of that. A lot of people will say and misquote this verse, and they'll say, money is the root of all evil, but that's not true. Okay, First uh, Timothy 6 says it's the love of money. Okay, it's not, not money. Money is great. Okay, money can bring a lot of great things to you, your family, your passions, the things that you believe in. Our entire culture and our entire world, for that matter, runs off resource. And when you've got people who have it that are kingdom-minded, it's incredible. Okay, But when you start to love it is when things change. Okay, so we need to get that, that, that part right. The second one is that the Lord works in mysterious ways. Okay, that's not in there. There's actually a poem by William Cowper written in the 1700s, but a comparable verse would be Romans 11.33. How unfathomable are his ways, but the Lord works in mysterious ways is not a scripture. God helps those who help themselves. Not in there. That's actually an, an Aesop's fable that was actually borrowed again or repeated by Benjamin Franklin in the Poor Richard's Almanac. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Not in there. Okay, This is actually an excerpt taken from a 1778 sermon by John Wesley. But it's not scripture. Okay, Spare the rod, spoil the child. Not in there. 
But Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who withholds the rod hates his son, but spare the rod, spoil the child is a spinoff. So when you quote that and say the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child, that's not, that's not, not correct. This too shall pass, not in Scripture. This was actually made popular in a speech by Abraham Lincoln. Okay, this too shall pass. The lion will lie down with the lamb. Not in there. Isaiah eleven six. it says the wolf will live with a lamb. The leopard will lie down with a goat, and a little child will lead them. But the lion beside the lamb, not in there. Okay? Seven deadly sins. Not in there. Proverbs chapter 6, though, tells us there are six things that the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him or are detestable to him. But as far as seven deadly sins, not in Scripture. Here's one for you. The three wise men. Not in there. Okay? We know that there were three gifts, but it never identifies how many kings or magistrates showed up to bring these gifts. Everybody just assumes three. And so in a lot of westernized art, it shows three men holding three gifts. Thus, we've been teaching three wise men. Okay? Isn't that that interesting? So there's a lot of things that sound good, a lot of things that sound like they have a biblical principle to them, but they just aren't in Scripture. And so what we have to do is be well-versed, well-read. We need to know what God's Word is really saying, and even even stronger, we need to know what it means for us. What are we supposed to do with this incredible work? And so the second thing is we know it's a major literary work. This is not something that you can just hand over to someone and then breeze through it on a weekend uh, sitting in in a beach chair. Uh, This is a very contemplative book. It, it, it It is a book that people have lived their lives by. It is one that people have handed off to their children. It is one that we have been gathering around like this for centuries teaching from. An incredible literary work. Let me break this down just a little bit for you. If you're new to this information, you're going to enjoy this. There are 66 total books in what we call the Bible. 1,189 chapters. 31,102 verses. 783,137 words. There are 1,200 promises. There are 6,000 commands. There are 8,000 prophecies. And there are 3,000 questions that are asked in Scripture. Among those are, Adam, where are you? Am I my brother's keeper? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who do you say I am? What must I do to be saved? And if God is for us, who can be against us? Along with others. Forty authors penned this over a 1,500-year span of time. 
30 authors in the Old Testament, 10 authors in the New Testament. It's been translated into 1,200 languages. Chapters, though, were not introduced until 1238 A.D. by the Catholic Church. Some of you think when Paul wrote, he was like, chapter 1, and then he began to pen. Verse 1, and then he wrote verse 2, and so on. No, it didn't come until centuries later when they tried to break it down for the purpose of study. To say, let's break this down so that we can then find this information again. But then it wasn't until 85 years, or sorry, 313 years later that verses came in 1551. So start with chapters. Three centuries later, they said, let's break it down a little bit more. Let's put verses into it. Okay, The Old Testament is a combination of the Hebrew Bible and then the Greek Bible, which is called the Septuagint. Then the New Testament is written by Jewish disciples in Greek. But then the printing press wasn't invented until 1440. So let me just kind of pause and clear your mind on something. Paul was not walking around with a Bible that he found in a hotel provided by the Gideons. He he didn't have that. He, he, He was referencing the works of Moses, the works of Isaiah, Old Testament prophets. When he is referencing the Word, he's not even talking about his own writings. What he thinks he's doing is writing a letter to a church and he's referencing works that came from authors before him. When he writes his letter to Timothy, he thinks he's just giving instruction to a young pastor. He has no idea that this letter is going to make it into the canon that you and I hold in our hand. No idea. So most of the teaching that came since they were written on papyrus and other things and and scrolls and saved and tucked away and kept in secret and rolled out and it was like, oh my gosh, these are the words of Isaiah he's about to read from. When people quoted from that, it's not because they had highlighted it at home. They had memorized it from listening, from hearing it from their grandparents and their parents. These were stories that were passed on and handed down and handed down and handed down and handed down. And eventually, someone decided to write something down and collect these things. So in 1440, the printing press comes out. Now watch this, because this is where a lot of you have, have, have derailed here. The first English translation of Scripture was a New Testament only, and it was printed in 1526. Okay, This was long before the King James Version came out. And a lot of evangelical Christians still today believe that the King James Version was ordained by one of the apostles. And it's absurd. And when you start to research it, it makes zero sense to even believe that. When it was first marketed or branded, they came out with this language that said the original King James Version. And people in the South were like, this is straight out of Israel. I mean, like, Paul just dropped these off. 
and people fought over that. Do you guys re- 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 remember this? When, when I first started speaking, I was 16 years old, and I would go into a churches, and pastors would ask me, what version are you preaching from? The NIV. Not today, you're not. You can go to my office and get a KJV off the shelf, because that's all I got. I got 10 copies. Go in there and pick one out. I keep 10 for preachers like you. When you're done, you can keep it. That's the original. Paul signed it in the back. Right? And we got hung up on it. Like, like, like we got to preach like that. I don't know if you've ever heard people who feel like they have to pray like that. You ever? Yeah. Y'all don't want to, want to admit it. It's all right. I understand. People feel like I need to pray using thee and thou and doeth and listeth. It's, it's bizarre. But the King James Version came 85 years later in 1611. I mean, do y'all know how far 1611 is from the first century church? A long time. There are 168,000 Bibles sold every day in the U.S. Five billion have been sold worldwide. The Bible read nonstop can be completed in about 70 hours. We should try that sometime. We should sign up for a reading and we should read it here in 70 hours. I think that, that would be so fun. The third thing about the Bible is this. We know, hear me, we know that we don't have the whole story. We don't have all of it. It's not like somebody filmed the entire life and story of Jesus and now we have every single detail. We know this. The people who wrote these books had endless material to choose from. There were countless stories to be shared, centuries of history handed down, massive amounts of information to include or not to include. Let me give you some examples. In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, the author writes in chapter 11, he says this, as for the other events of Solomon's reign, All he did and the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? Well, yeah, I guess they are. But we have no idea what he's referring to. So there's an entire book written about the wisdom and the acts of Solomon that we don't have. Many scholars believe that it was lost in the exile to Babylon. We see something very similar in the Gospel of John where it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. He's basically saying, i got to stop at some point. I can't include it all. I mean, I was with him every day, 24-7, seven days a week. This guy was on fire. He was changing lives. He was working miracles. He was turning communities upside down. So what I've given you is a snapshot, okay? Now, he, he goes on. He's so, he's so bent on this. He goes on to end. Jesus did many other things as well. Watch. If every one of them were written down, he says, I suppose that the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. 
Wow. He said, there's so much content, y'all, that I left out. There's so much of, of this story that, that I just can't include. So I'm trying my, my, my best to show you what this guy's life was like, what his character was like. I'm trying to hit the high points, and I just hope that you get the picture of how great he was to us. Isn't that amazing? The whole world would not be able to, to contain him. It's as if the writer, just to wrap things up, says, hey, I left a ton of stuff out. The authors of the books of the Bible then weren't just writing. They were selecting and editing and choosing and making decisions about what material and content furthered their purpose in writing and what didn't further that purpose. The writer of the Gospel of Luke says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Esther says, this is what happened. Toward the end of the Gospel of John, he says, these are written that you may believe. This was their purpose for us. To find us somewhere in our lives that we might cross this story and believe and get it and sink our teeth into it and find value in it and realize that a generation that was afar off has been brought near to the story. This was their purpose in writing. The fourth thing, we know there are contradictions. Or are there? Not everyone, hear me, that says the Bible contains contradictions is an angry, arrogant, card-carrying atheist. And not everyone who believes there aren't any contradictions is a backwoods, unscientific fundamentalist with his head in the sand. It's important to distinguish between contradiction and a difference. And so what many people have split over and said, we can't agree on this anymore, we can't worship together anymore, is what they're calling a contradiction. But in reality, it's really just a difference, a difference in a story. Let me give you a big one. Okay, This is one that's been fought over for a long time. Matthew 27, 5 says that Judas hung himself. But Acts chapter 1 says that he fell to the ground and burst wide open. Okay? It's a little rated R, but... So which one is it? Did he hang himself? Or did he fall headlong to the ground and burst open? Well, there's more to the story. Because a contradiction would be that Matthew says Jesus, uh, Judas hung himself... And that Acts says, no, he didn't hang himself. He burst open. That's a contradiction. A difference could be that Judas hung himself. And he hung there, and he hung there, and he hung there. And three or four, five, six days later, the rope gave way. He fell to the ground and burst open. That could be what happened. Some of y'all wish that I chose a different contradiction. A different part could be that he hung himself and it didn't work. And he got down, he climbed a cliff and jumped off of it and burst open. Is it a contradiction? No. A difference? Obviously. 
So instead of going, I'm throwing everything out because there's a contradiction in Matthew and again in, in, in Acts, and this is just one of many, many, many differences that we're going to find within Scripture. As we go through and read stories, in 2017, we read the year of the Bible together as a church, and when we did, man, the phone started blowing up. Messenger came in, have you read Leviticus? Man, there's some crazy. People are killing their kids in there. God, what what is God so mad about in Leviticus? And people began to ask, and I just had to constantly coach as they read verses for the first time in their life that really started to, to reveal their whole faith system. And they said, man, I don't like being challenged like this. I would like to stick to the five verses that I knew and just go with that. But man, these authors are showing us an incredible view and an incredible story. And they're centuries apart. And they're different personalities writing. And there's different ways of, of, of communicating. But they're trying to all tell us the same story that God loves us, and he's chasing us. I want you to keep this in mind that people are writing these accounts. There is a short list of authorship that comes directly from God to man. We know that the Ten Commandments are one. Moses goes up on the mountain. He comes down with something handwritten by God. Can you imagine? And I don't know what got got into him, but something got a hold of him. He got so mad, he threw him down and broke him. I want you to think about the moment that happened. He was like, oh, this is not good. How am I going to explain this one? He goes back, and God is so just, he's like, God, the, the dog ate the commandments. And God being the humble and merciful that's okay. Let me let me write you another copy. Gives them to him. They're tucked away in the Ark of the Covenant. We know that God wrote his wrote something on the wall to Belshazzar at a party. Many, many. Teclafarsin wrote that on 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 the wall. A hand appeared on the wall and wrote God's authorship to man. We know Jesus knelt down and wrote something in in the dust. We don't know what it is, but we know it scattered a group of ang- angry people. It's the only examples we have of direct authorship. So what we have in our hands is collected by people like you and me, people who made mistakes, people who messed up, people who were on a journey, people who were seeking God, people who wanted to know more of God, people who were raising up pastors, people who were planting churches, people who were forgiving people while asking to be forgiven. And God did that for a specific purpose because if God wanted it done neatly or wanted to give us just one angle of Jesus, he would have just just given it to us. But he used humanity to write these words down who were inspired by the Holy Spirit as they wrote, as they penned. The Holy Spirit was revealing to them great mystery and was reminding them of details of their particular experience so that you and I might have it. 
that we, that we could see it. And we should respect and enjoy and celebrate the diversity in the Bible and not try to iron everything out so neatly. This is why we believe wholeheartedly. Hear my heart today. We believe in praying for another church on Sunday. Not because it makes us look good or super spiritual, but because we truly believe that we're all on this journey together. It does not matter to me. Now, I'm, I'm giving my opinion, so this is going to come across harsh and sound like a heretic, but I personally do not care about non-essentials. I just want you to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and submit your life to Him. Everything else I don't care about. I love to raise my hands in worship. If you want to put yours in your pocket and be boring, do it. Man, if, if you baptize in a tank that is built in and has immediate hot water, that's fantastic. If you want to get in there, Man, I, I just—I recently got to baptize one of our one of our guys at College Church last year. They gave me a pair of duck waders. I was like, "These are professional baptizers over here, man. This is legit." I said, "How many pair do y'all have?" He's like, "I don't know, four or five waders." I was like, "Can I have one? This is amazing." I'm not going to argue with them over baptism. Take communion whenever you want. If you want to take communion every day, take it every day. There's only one rule. Remember me when you do it. King James, man, if you want to read that and punish yourself, read it. If you're slow, get a message Bible. Right? Can't we all just get along, man? <laughs> all right, let me apply this. I don't, have, I don't have long. Here's the application part. Read, meditate, apply. Read, meditate, apply. I want you to say that with me once. Here, here we go. Read, meditate, apply. This is like the three ingredients for a fire, Okay? You've got fuel, oxygen, and heat. You take away any one of those three, you no longer have a fire. Okay? Same thing. Read, meditate, apply. You take away any of these, you don't have anything. Okay? Let me, let me give you just a few things. Read. If you do not have a Bible, get one. If you're a new believer and you don't have one, ask me for one. I'll buy you the one you want. You just tell me, this is the one I've picked out. It's a, it's a study Bible. This is the one I want. I'm going to get it for you. Get a Bible. The one-year Bible. And I've, I've told you this, man, when we went through this in 2017, it was great. People were checking off, done, 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 done. Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverbs, done. Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverbs, done. 364 days later, I asked them, on the last day of the year. How much word do you know? I don't know, but I got it done. 
totally defeats the purpose. Can I get an amen? Okay, totally defeats it. Here's my rule for my, my, my personal life. One verse a day. One verse. Do I read more than that? Sure. Sometimes I'll sit down and read chapters and chapters and books and go back and forth, of course. Study demands that. But my personal life, one verse a day. Why? Because I can soak on it. I can get it in my life. I can memorize it. I can do a word study. I can understand that. But when I'm just trying to check through a punch list, it defeats it. Okay? If you're an app person, go to U version and pick out however many versions you want. Highlight, store it, make notes. Get a version that you like. But hear me, if you find yourself only reading the parts of the Bible that make you comfortable, you will read the Word without ever letting the Word read you. So get into all of it. Number two, meditate. you got to ask questions. When I grew up, asking questions meant you lacked faith. You, just, you weren't supposed to have any questions. You weren't supposed to look at obvious things and go, no, wait a minute, that doesn't quite make sense. That's, it doesn't matter. Just believe it. Okay, but watch this. Having questions does not mean you've lost God. It means you're trying to find Him. It means you're seeking Him. So ask, 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 ask. Write all the questions down and don't feel guilty for having any of them. Write down your questions. Meditate on it. Repeat the, the Scripture. Sing the Scripture. Memorize the Scripture. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your refrigerator. Get it into your children. Get it into you. Get the Word in your life. And third, apply. you got to do your best with this. The Word is what will bring you closer to the Father because it's revealing it's his story. And we're a part of that. The work on the cross was perfect, but you are not. So don't shoot for perfection. Shoot for progress. Okay, aim for progress. Kev, you know, I start big, you know, I always start the year, and then, you know, I start in Matthew, and I suffer through chapter 1, and, uh, you know, by the time I, I'm to, you know, Acts chapter 3, I'm just, I'm kind of tired and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Listen, don't, don't shoot for scholarship. Shoot for progress. The goal is to become more like Christ. And this is where we've missed it, okay? This is going to sound really simple, but watch me. Every eye on me. Watch this. This is where we've missed it. It's for you to enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Don't, don't come to church and, and life groups and discipleship opportunities and worship nights and, and, and be full of fear and anxiety about where you are in your journey. Enjoy it. Oh, Kevin, I'm in this place right now where you know, my faith is really low and I just don't know what's going on. I'm in this big battle. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in a valley. Listen, enjoy that time because God's going to show you something in that valley that you can celebrate on the next mountaintop. Every step, every part, every phase, every season, enjoy it. 
you're on the right road. So enjoy it. Have life. Have it more abundantly. Let me end, end with this. You guys stand with me right now all, all across the room. I'm going to pray in just a minute. Let me end with this. 2 Timothy 3 and 16. This is the NIV. All Scripture. I love this part. All Scripture is God-breathed. That in whatever way, whoever penned it, whoever told the story, whoever shared it, whoever re- revealed it, however old they were, however young they were, it doesn't matter. It's all coming from the breath of God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be, watch this, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything that you do in your life, God wants you to be thoroughly equipped for. The Bible can thoroughly equip you for your marriage. It can thoroughly equip you to be a parent. It can thoroughly equip you for your finances. It can thoroughly equip you for points and times when you feel like your faith has been drained dry. It will thoroughly equip you for every good work. Isn't that good? Hey, man, I want to pray over us this morning. Let's just bow our head. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the word.